0: Good morning and Happy Monday. Uh, this is Talking MMT on Anchor.fm. Uh, also, Talking Financial will be coming up later. And that covers everything from Fed News and other market related uh, activities. Anyway, so, uh, we're continuing to uh, to read from The Deaths and Myths by Stephanie Tilton and right now I am reading from or will be reading from Chapter 7. The deficits that matter which is on 191 uh, i came to washington in 2015 to join the staff of the democrats on the senate budget committee by that point we were all well into the grinding uh, recovery from the great recession for decades america has placed trust and power in a global network of financial and political elites who have profoundly failed to address the economic concerns of most people in the planet, uh, on the planet. rather, The economic meltdown presented a brief opportunity to rethink our priorities. President Obama had been elected in the immediate aftermath of the crisis with, mandate, with a mandate for a change in solid majorities in both chambers of Congress. But by the time I arrived, Republicans had taken control of both the House and the Senate and a says, quote, of senseless prudence and caution around deficit spending, at least for social programs that returned with vengeance. The Democrats were in the minority, which left the Republicans to call the shot, shots and set the agenda. The, that left us playing defensive. That, uh, that, left, uh, that left us plain defensive as I sat through meetings and helped prepare talking points, I imagined the possibilities of being a majority, of being in the majority, because, uh, be, oh, sorry, focusing the agenda on the mirage challenges facing the American people and writing a budget that would help millions lead more secure, productive, and happier lives. But with Democrats and minority, I had little power to do much of anything. And in truth, it may not have mattered much. For all the rancor, rancor between the parties, everyone was pretty much on the same page when it came down to federal government's uh, government gets the money it spends into the economy. Democrats and Republicans alike uh, looked at the federal budget the way they looked at their own household budget, to the lens of currency users rather than currency issuer. The two sides broadly agreed that the nation faced a looming fiscal crisis and simply traded barbs over the root cause of the problem. Democrats focused on tax cuts and costly wars, while Republicans blamed out overspending on uh, programs like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Even if we'd be in power, I suspect Democrats would have bowed to the deficit myth, with Sanders at the helm. The focus would have veered toward the Robin Hood approach, taxing the rich or cutting defense to pay for more generous spending elsewhere. But given the political realities, avoiding any increase in the deficit likely would have remained a top priority. Here I was in the halls of power and chief economic, economist rather for the Democrats, where I should have been able to make the insights of M.T. heard. Instead, I doubted whether I doubted whether my idea my ideas could make any impact at all. I could bear the, I couldn't bear the thought that I had taken a leave of absence from my teaching job. Moved away from my friends and family, and t- and taken up residence in Washington, D.C., only to be surrounded by people who spend most of their time worrying about the budget deficit. I spent much I spent much of my own time drowning in frustration. Then it struck me: a deficit is merely a gap between what we have and what we need. Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary literally defines a deficit as a deficiency in the amount of or quality or a lack or impairment in the ability to or function of a functional capacity. Our government's fiscal deficit wasn't caused for concern, but America faced either deficits that mattered uh, enormously, uh, deficits in good jobs and access to health care and uh, quality and infrastructure in a clean environment, in a sustainable climate, and more. If the Senate, if the Senate uh, senators on the Budget Committee wanted to talk about deficits so much, why not talk about those deficits instead? As long, uh, sorry, uh, as luck would have it, the Director of the Congressional Budget or CBO, Doug uh, Elmendorf uh, at the time was scheduled to make an appearance before the Budget before the Senate Budget Committee. It was a routine thing, and I knew just what to expect. Elmer Dorf would arrive in a button-up shirt, wearing spectacles, uh, and carrying a copy of the CBO's latest long-term budget outlook. He would start by walking the committee through the report's major findings, calling attention to projected budget shortfalls, and warning of the of potential risk of a debt crisis if the government failed to get its fiscal house in order. Then the various senators would take turns grandstanding or arguing about whether we needed to cut spending or raise taxes to fix the deficit problem. I couldn't bear the thought of sitting through such a pointless exercise so I had to plan. My boss was a ranking member of the committee and it was customary for him to offer prepared remarks immediately following the chairman's opening statement. The staff had been asked to draft those remarks. I decided that this was my entire point, uh, my entry point. Excuse me, my one chance to force an entirely new conversation. I proposed to the staff that we ignore the fiscal deficit completely and talk instead of about the deficits that really matter. Fortunately, Senator Sanders listened to and cared deeply about the ordinary people. He looked at the federal budget the way I did, as a moral document and an impression, expression of national priority. We both believed that rather than a nation of rugged and atomized, yeah, rugged and atomized individuals, Americans shared an inter- interconnected destiny, that we all rise uh, or fall together as a people. With that spirit as our shared foundation, Bernie, his uh, his staff and I agreed to recraft his opinion, his open remarks. Instead of discussing yet again how to bring down projected fiscal deficits, we would we should speak to our to our other deficits and in infrastructure, jobs, education, health, and so on. It fell to Bernie himself to sell this shift in focus that he delivered. After hearing a headline in the Hill, the industry publication for uh, Congress declared, Bernie Sanders flips the script with with deficits plan. The deficits that we identify are the ones that affect affect uh, ordinary people the most, and they have been ignored for far too long. They are what lie at the core of any decent society. Our national infrastructure is crumbling. The cost of college education is increasingly out of reach, and 45 million Americans are saddled with more than $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. Income and wealth inequality are near record highs. Average workers have seen their wage, uh, real wage increase by just 3% since the 70s. Nearly one in four Americans say they will never be able to afford to retire. Our health care system is inadequate to say the least. With eight, with 87 million people uninsured or underinsured, flipping the script is as necessary now as it was then. At the most basic conceptual uh, level, Americans, federal, uh, America's federal budgetary process is a complete mess, utterly unable to grapple with these comp- compounding crises. It's a process that assumes the government is a cash constraint rather than a currency issuer. By its very nature, it blinds, it blinds its participants to any ultimate goal other than balance fiscal budgets over the long run. It's a process designated by technocrats to shackle policy, policy options. To elevate the needs of abstract ledger entries over the needs of flesh and blood human beings, let's talk about the deficits of matter. So let's do that. The good jobs deficit. Rick Marsh had put in 25 years at the GM plant in Lordstown, Ohio, when it closed down in the early months of 2019. Marsh's father, as elected union officer, official, excuse me. Worked there before him. It was, as the New York Times noted, "quote the only real job he ever had." Unquote. Marsh owns a house and has a daughter with a cere- cerebral palsy. He could get a job in the natural gas fields of Western Pennsylvania for about half the price he made at GM, or he could use his seniority to try to transfer to a GM plant elsewhere. But he and his wife were loath. Were wife are loath to take uh, either option as it would mean giving of the incentive network of support at school through local services they've painstakingly built upon up for their daughter marsh's marsh's story is a common one america's uh manufacturing employment remains well below the levels seen after nafta and the wto agreement and the other corporate corporation friendly trade deals that kicked the legs out from under Marsh's industry, as so many others. The financial crisis didn't help either. Americans lost 212,000 telecommunications jobs and 122,000 manufacturing jobs in the last eight years following 2008. Jobs in the public sector, work that has generally provided le- living wages as well as good benefits, have all declined. Uh, also declined. State and local governments cut some 361,000 uh, jobs, while the U- U.S. Postal Service shed 112,000 workers. Yes, the economy has slowly recovering, uh, has been slowly recovering since the 2008 collapse and continues to create jobs as of this writing. Unemployment was at 3.7% at the start of 2020, way down from 10% at the height of the Great Depression. Yet that job growth has been overwhelmingly concentrated in low skill, low pay occupations. That's why millions of people are trying to cobble together enough income to survive by working two or three jobs. It is impossible to live on a $8.25 an hour, uh Craventes told the Chicago Tribune in 2014. I might even forgot the name right, but anyway. At the time, Caravantes has had to work two jobs, uh, scrubbing floors and cleaning toilets in downtown Chicago luxury hotels, just to scrape uh, together $485 every other week. His rent was $500 a month. She had to create. Oh, I'm sorry, the female. Uh, she uh, she had to travel an hour on public transfer transit. Every time they reached her job that she couldn't afford to miss a single day at work. Tara Ventes told the the Tribune that she thought she was a good worker, Uh, her pay would increase. I was wrong, she said. Meanwhile, $8.25 an hour remains the minimum wage in Illinois. The federal minimum wage is a mere $7.25 an hour. No less than 40% of Americans say they would be unable to keep, come up with $400 in an emergency and make no mistake poorly paid workers. Why? If there were many good jobs out there, that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be the case. If the labor market was really healthy and strong, employers would be forced to raise pay to, uh, to attract workers. It may have revived the quantity of jobs available, but the quality of the new jobs is much lower. The food service sector, for example, has added 2 million jobs, while retail added 1.2 million. According to an economic news release by the U.S. Department of Labor, the average annual uh, median salary for retail workers is 28,310, while while food service and prep workers receive even smaller income, averaging just over 22,000. In fact, nearly three-quarters of the jobs gained since 2008 crisis has paid no more than $50,000 annually, with most paid significantly less. Inflation-adjusted wages for the average worker have grown only 3% from the 1970s to 2018. Workers in the bottom fifth of the income ladder have experienced a decline in wages during the same period. There is no inherent reason why jobs at retail or food service should pay worse than the jobs that came before, but these are industries where unions have never been able to achieve the foothold that gained in mid-century manufacturing. There are industries where employers hold all the leverage and use every trick of the book from outsourcing to franchising to hiring contractors rather than full-time workers to keep pay and benefits as low as possible. There's also a geographic aspect to all this. The places where jobs can be found aren't the same places as before. Several decades ago, during the recovery from 1990-91 recession, the rural markets and small towns in the heartland had some of the highest rates of job incre- creation in the country. But that, in a, but that ability to bounce back has declined since in recovery from a great recession. The greatest rates of employment growth happened in urban areas and big cities like la new york and houston jobs in less dense area and rural regions grew at less than a third of their previous rate in some places effectively there was no recovery from 2008 and okay uh, the job market just pulled up stakes and left uh Cairo, Illinois, which I'm not really sure to pronounce that first part right, uh, used to be a bustling town at the intersection of the Mississippi and Ohio rivers, with, shop, with shops and drive-ins and clubs, but the industrialization and the depredations of racism, uh, Cairo, is mostly African American, hit it hard the town has two two dollar generals and a few other stores to his name when author and photographer Chris Arnett asked Marva a 40 a 47 year old uh, local teacher why she stayed her answer was simple uh, Caro is my home it is a small community and it is my family you can't just abandon the people you grew up with there is something cruel in how the modern US economy often forces people to choose between their roots and their livelihood. Even when people do prefer to leave, moving to a whole new city is often expensive, difficult, and risky. Meanwhile, for Americans lucky enough to live in in the places where jobs are growing, they still often have to take worse jobs than before. This phenomenon, where people are laid off from good-paying work and can only replace it with, near, with poorly paid work that is a com- uh, commensurate with their skills and education, is which is what excuse me uh, economists uh, economists call underemployment. For example, Lisa Casino uh, Schwartz, uh, some that, I'm sorry. A mother of two earned a master's degree. At once had a steady job with a six-figure salary. Then the crash came. The job disappeared, and Casino uh, had to take a job at his sports me- uh, medical facility for 15 an hour. Then that job laid her off, as she found work during, doing customer service for Amazon. Then that gave vanished too. You ask, why me? Why did I do? What did I do wrong? She said. Underemployment affects such a broad array of people that writer Andrea Thompson devoted a whole blog. To collect to collecting their, their stories, then even st- uh, includes Thomas's own four year old grandmother, sixty four year old grandmother, student, a cook all her life. Thomas's uh, Thompson's grandmother, uh, faced a string string of medical surgeries, is now an underpaid lunch lady at the local high school. Recently diagnosed with diabetes, she can't afford the health care costs associated with her condition. This rampant sense that everyone is disposable affects Americans in all sorts of ways beyond beyond employment and pay. In a 2018 survey by the American Psychiatric Association, two-thirds said they they worry about meeting their expenses. (coughs) The only comparable concerns were for their personal health and the safety of their families, both of which are affected by financial status. As the APA website notes, nearly three-quarters of women and nearly three-quarters of young adults 18 uh, 8 to twenty-four, uh, and nearly four in five Hispanic adults are somewhat or extremely anxious about paying the bills. In 2017 survey, the Journal of Community Health showed that one in three working Americans believe their job is not secure. The experience of that vulnerability is correlated with significantly higher chances of obesity, poor sleep, uh, smoking, uh, lost work days, and worsening health in general. Economists Susan Case and Angus Deaton studied the steep rise in mortality among middle aged white Americans since 1999. And found the big cause were suicide, drugs, and alcoholism, the so called deaths of despair. These deaths were driven primarily by economic anxiety. Workers in the United States aren't the only ones facing these challenges. David N. F. Bell and David G. Blinkflower found that in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, underemployment pulled down wages in most of the 25 European countries. They studied but America American workers have an even harder hill to climb than their European peers unemployment or sorry employment in the u.s. compares unfavorably to the many uh, European countries moreover the u.s. is the only developed country that doesn't require its employers to offer paid maternity leave and in fact it's the only one that doesn't require employers to offer paid leave of any sort some American employers step up on their own, of course, but as a, as a group, uh, U.S. workers get little more than one fourth of vacation time at workers of workers in Britain, France, or Spain. Uh uh see, other. Oh, there has been much talk of well-paid manufacturing jobs moving abroad and the impact that it, that's had on the American dream. In the industrial Midwest, Trump eked out a win in 2016, promising a return to greatness at a time when it was possible to hold down manufacturing job, a manufacturing job and live a stable and re- rewarding life. My guess is that what people really long for are the days when a single breadwinner could support a family, be buy a home, put two cars in the garage, and send the kids to college, take the family on vacation once a week and once a year. Once a week, once a year, and retire with a decent pension. It comes out as brick back manufacturing jobs or bring back manufacturing jobs, or make America great again. But it's really about replacing the lost sense of job security and what a middle income job was once to be to provide. Ultimately, the good jobs deficit comes down to the way money flows through the economy right now those flows grant good pay and great benefits to a small portion of fortunate americans and me and meager pay little to no benefits to a greater many more but money as MG notes is the one resource the government can't run out of there's no reason every job all the way down to retail clerk or fast food worker or janitor in a luxury Chicago hotel can't be a good job with, with dignified pay, hours and security and benefits. The next chapter will explain how MIT proposals to create a proposal to create a federal job guarantee can set a minimum standard for all employers to meet with a livable wage and benefits package for anyone who wants it. NFT also offers other tools to tackle the problems of paid leave and vacation time so that our quality of life can improve and with it our health and our sense of well-being. These ideas can deliver true, full employment, lifting incomes for those at the bottom and spreading the benefits up to the income ladder, effectively eliminating Americans' deficit of good-paying jobs. As we transfer our economy from, for a greener, safer, and more secure future, we can give Americans the quality of work they deserve. That'll do it for today as far as i talk talking MMT. Uh, later on, I'll be coming back with the end of the day um, the fiscal uh Fed Fed numbers and and uh, top stories and stuff of that nature, and also see if they have uh, redeemed any more um, uh, treasuries, whether it be going back into the banks uh, through repo or other things. I'll I'll be reading the whole thing uh, out loud to you guys. So subscribe for one for uh, for nine cents a month, and also go to my uh, YouTube channel later on when I do a live uh in regards to news uh leftist side of the realm or political spectrum anyway thanks for listening i hope you guys had a great weekend or at least a very decent one um wear those masks if you sh- if you still want to i'm not going to say more over the other as far as uh vaccinations i myself i will not be doing that but that's just my point of view so there you go but i don't hate others who do so there you go anyway thanks for listening and peace out for now and i'll talk to you later on